All right, welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. How's it going, Walter? It's going good, except you're going to notice that my lip is blue because I just inserted the very latest in nootropic, mind-enhancing, um, over-the-counter medications, yes. It's something called methylene blue. I don't. I won't put up a promo code or expect any uh, remuneration from those who want to try it or buy it. And uh, supposedly, it activates the mitochondria of the brain. So if you notice me being particularly acute today, you can you can try it yourself. Well, you can try it yourself. Um, it turns your mouth blue. However, it is a medical dye. It is not an organic compound. It was, in fact, the first synthetic medicine, um, from, wholly synthetic, and it was, uh, I, I think, invented in the late or 1800s as a way of dyeing organs uh, for study. And um, but it's lately become a vogue for those who, you know, wish to raise their IQ a three or four points for tense situations such as podcasts. So. Wow. Well, I, I'm yeah. going to, I definitely need that. So yeah. uh, I'll have to try that next, next week. Yeah. Moving on. Um, so this wasn't, this wasn't as, as news weeks go, this wasn't, this is actually one of the first weeks in a long time that didn't have a massive sort of catastrophic thing happen. It felt like, felt like it was a relatively I wonder why that no. was. Do they do they need a long runway for the next catastrophe? Are they giving us a breather? Um, yeah, yeah, maybe it's something like that. Uh, who knows? Maybe something's coming. But um, there was a lot of stuff. We're we're going to talk a lot about AI today. Uh, there were a lot of AI theme stories. And Walter, you've written you, you wrote a very funny essay that I that I long thought we needed to plug okay, on this great. show. Uh, so. We're going to we're going to come back to that. But uh, just briefly, there's something I want to touch on. I wrote about it earlier this week. Uh, Jim Comey made a little made a media tour this week. Uh, and for those of you who don't know how this works, if you write something like a, um, a book or in this case, a novel, you, you, you know, your your PR people schedule you to go on all of these uh, channels, they have their own contacts. It's like kind of automatically done. Um, but in the case of Jim Comey, he's written a detective novel. He's rebranding himself as a novelist, but people don't really want to talk to him about, about the novel because they know that's not going to generate any traffic. So it, it, it's sort of a symbiosis. He goes on, he has to answer some unpleasant mm -hmm. questions about things like the Durham report which he does, which he completely doesn't. He, he non answers all the questions. Everybody uh, sort of slobbers all over him. They go through this unpleasant ritual and then they ask him about his, his book, which nobody read. Uh, but the, there were a couple of really funny things about this media tour, which included NPR, CNN, and then MSNBC. There were multiple hits there, but a particularly bad one on Morning Joe with a. A, a quartet of questioners who who did nothing but throw softballs at him and he appears dressed in this thing it's like a i don't know it was like a sheer black singlet with it, 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 it was almost like he 
he was trying to wear a costume that just said writer on the front, like sort of like John Belushi's sweatshirt that said college right, right. in, um, in animal house. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I saw all, it. Let's, just, let's do, we don't do a lot of um, wardrobe criticism on this show, but let's start with James Comey's black tunic slash turtlenecky thing. <laughs> It looked like something a Jungian analyst on the Upper West Side of Manhattan would wear in 1963, you know, the kind of guy who tells you to keep a journal of your most violent dreams. Um, it was the kind of shirt that usually goes with a big medallion, maybe a pentagram. It was very Rose. It was very right. Rosemary's baby. Let's put it that way. Um, I, 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 I think the head... Yes, that's right. That's what I was yeah, thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it's something that real writers, quote unquote, not that he isn't one now that he has an actual novel with his name on the front of it, uh, used to wear to some extent. Um, and, uh, you know, or Anton LaVey, remember him, the head of the church? of <laughs> Yeah. Yes. He, he wore this kind of yes. thing a lot. Um, it slims you down. That's an interesting. Yeah, yep. the Levee yep. reference, I think, yeah. is 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 apt at least in sartorial terms. So it made him into a kind of mysterious, you know, guy who uh, has suddenly transformed into an artist. We we haven't kept up with him while the Durham stuff has been going on. He's been absent from the scene, sort of, you know, like a caterpillar in its dormancy, and now he's hatched into this sort of black, ominous, uh, intellectual butterfly. Um, and uh, <laughs> the one thing I... It's, it's silence of the lambs, right? <laughs> the one thing I noticed about his... Um, yeah, one thing I noticed about his um, interviews was that when asked anything of substance, it was all about Donald Trump again. Um he, he's mm. kind of coming out as the guy who kept, you know, the vampire slayer who somehow kept Trump in his uh, crypt uh, or put him in the crypt. Um, and he kept talking about him being an existential threat to the rule of law. Uh, he uses the word existential a lot because he's dressing in the era of the existentialists. Uh, oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Jean yeah. Paul, so we should Sartre call him Jean meets, Paul Comey. Yeah. Uh, 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 maybe. <laughs> so it's Sartre meets LeVay meets, meets a Jungian therapist from, what? you know, uh, it meets a Jungian West therapist. End Avenue. Uh, yeah, meets Rosemary's baby, meets. I, I, I thought there was a little Arthur Miller, but maybe that's the wrong person I'm thinking of. Is it Mailer? Um, yeah. Which which writer James Baldwin wore that a little bit, but you know I don't know. I think a lot of I think a lot of sort of um, uh, Nureyev, like a lot of ballet people, uh, the sort of uh, Russian influenced ballet people wore these things too in the great days of the you know uh, New York ballet. Uh, but it was definitely a blast from the past. It was a confusing kind of cultural signaling. I, I guess it registered seriousness, uh, depth, um, and just a sort of new, maybe polyamorous late life, uh, version of himself. Uh, I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I, I dug it. I think it, I thought it was bold. Um, uh, and look, I, I, this is this is the part where I come out as jealous because all I ever wanted to be in life was a detective novelist. I mean, I, I named one of my kids after Phil Marlowe, you know, uh-huh. like uh, so. Um, and. I'm not going to lie, it, bo- it, it, it is bothersome to me that somebody can be, um, you know, the FBI director and a basically a spook uh, his whole life. But and that's then but that's not un- a detective novel. And that's get- not unprecedented, Matt. In this, he joins the company of Howard Hunt, the Watergate burglar, and you know, possible JFK. Those books were good, though. They were. I just read a whole long Gore Vidal um, uh, essay about the novels of Howard Hunt, and even Gore Vidal, who hated everything and everyone had to admit that Hunt's novels weren't half bad. And Hunt wrote them under like four different uh, pseudonyms with four different alter egos. And um, he, and, and then, you know, we had Buckley and we had James Webb, remember, erstwhile presidential candidate James Webb, who was a novelist. So being a man of intrigue in Washington uh, and writing a novel is is kind of a tradition, one that we didn't expect he would uh, insert himself into, but here he has. Um, well, Bill Clinton did it. Hillary did it, right? Novels. Um, There's so, a Hillary Clinton. Yeah, Bill Clinton did a oh, novel. Boy, yeah. did I miss that? Hillary Clinton, I, I believe, did a novel. She co-wrote it. It was they, they were both ghost ghostwritten. So, so whenever um, these people write novels, I expect that their uh, experience in Washington will state of terror. State of terror. Okay. Um, I always expect mm-hmm. that having, you know, served as FBI director, they'll have some knowledge, some inside stuff that they're going to put into the novel and, uh, you know, wink, wink, we're going to recognize it in some way. And I'm wondering if that is true because in, uh, you know, I haven't read the book. You did, or you at least started it. Uh, I, I I made it to about chapter four. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. So it's, he doesn't do that because what did he do? He he based it on his experiences working as a uh, a mob prosecutor back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So the protagonist is a female federal prosecutor from the Southern District of New York who lives in Hoboken, um, and her name is Nora Carlton. Uh, and apparently, the book was kind of co-written in consultation with his wife. So that was where the female insights came from. Uh, like it, it, it kind of follows the standard format of detective novels today, which is like when you do the internal dialogue of the, of the main character, uh, it's parentheses and then italics. Like, gosh, that was you know strange. You know right, how they do sure. that, where, where the 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 right, yeah. Um, so it, it's it's very formulaic. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's like kind of Thomas Friedman level of you know, maladroit writing, but it, it, you know, there's no surprises in it. But the, the thing that, that I thought was really funny was this ritual of, okay, it's a first time writer. Um, it, it's not terribly original. It's, it's a tough read. Uh, and immediately there is a, a whole slate of famous detective writers um, who jump on a bandwagon. And I just want to read you some of the, 
some of the um, blurbs. Here's Jeffrey Deaver, Deaver, a nonstop thrill ride. Uh, here's Harlan Coben. Uh, memorable characters, gripping plot, a truly outstanding debut, announces a bold new talent. Michael Connolly says it's a great read. He delivers it with the addictive style of an expert storyteller. Uh, Ian Rankin, the author of the Reba series, says reeks of authenticity, a debut publishers dream of. Um, so uh, this whole thing is funny to me, too, because it's it, not only do you immediately get the wide release that first time authors never of, of detective novels right. never get. Uh, you get to do a big media tour and all the channels. But you get all these famous uh, detective writers slobbering all over you the same way they did with Clinton's book and, you know, all of these these folks. Um, what, what, what do you think the morale, like the ethics of that are as a as a fiction writer? Uh, Walter, would, would, would you ever do that? Would you ever blurb a famous person that you like? Uh, no, because I don't know any famous people and no one would, no one would allow (laughs) my somewhat tarnished name to, uh, uh, you know, mar the cover of their book. Um, if I were asked by some luminary, a former CIA head or FBI head to blurb their book and it was good then I would feel like I had the best of both worlds. Here I was currying favor with power and I was delivering an honest, honest uh, critical assessment of their work. So I'd go ahead. If right. it was bad and you know, I, I, I had to somehow decorate this awful thing with my words, I, I would back off because, you know, Matt, I, I'm not rich. Uh, I, I'm, I don't write best-selling books. All I really have is my little integrity, and I wouldn't sacrifice it on the altar of that. It wouldn't get me anything anyway. Um, what I notice is that speaking of AI, which we're going to get to, all of those blurbs seem AI-generated to me. Uh, uh, you could literally use those refrigerator <laughs> magnets that have words on them in which you, you know, go every day to the refrigerator and put a new sentence together. You could use the the top hundred words that are used in blurbs and put those things together almost at random. Uh, The addictive style of a born story. What was the spy feature with the, the, the monocle, the, the, in spy magazine, there was the, the, the reviewer with the monocle. Walter right. Monheit yes, of yes, Spy exactly. Magazine. He yeah. was our fictional um, uh, rave reviewer. Um, <laughs> he he always he 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 especially reviewed movies, as I remember. And it was always you know four Oscars or you know it, 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 he always addressed Oscar. He he said Oscar, stay up all night reading this thing, and then tell us in the morning how much you loved it, or you know. Uh, yeah, Walter Monheit would have given this four monocles, I think. Um, uh, oh man, no, it's all right. It's all, but but you're you're saying there's no, there's no sort of semi salacious talking out of school aspect to this. You know, we don't, he, he doesn't give us some secret Russiagate era, uh, plot line that we can read allegorically or there's not a trump character in the book or no it's 
he does give you a little bit of this sort of Scott Tarot, like inside baseball lawyer mm-hmm. thing, um, which is interesting. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like there's, there's a little right. bit of that's right. readable, uh, but you know, the, 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 pro, the prose is kind of wooden, but again, I say that tinged with envy. And how does he so, plus his wife um, bring off a female character? Yeah, I mean, that feels very forced. I'm not going to lie. Uh, that that part of it is is tough, and I never really... I mean, I, I guess in the annals of books that have um, female protagonists written by men, mm-hmm. it's always an extremely difficult thing to pull off. Um, and I and I feel like it's usually more successful with men than with women. I mean, like Madame Bovary, even even Anna Karenina, uh, it's a performance, right? I, I don't know. I I wouldn't do it personally. I mean, in the in the reverse uh, phenomenon that J.K. Rowling's trying, where she's she's doing a man. Um, I don't know. It feels like an option. to me. Is there a sex it's, scene? It's doable, I mean, I most pot boilers have a sex scene within the first three chapters. I haven't gotten oh, okay. to it yet. Uh, I, I don't even see it That's set right. up yet. So maybe maybe I'm missing that. Um, but anyway, he, he showed up, you know, he did his thing. And, and it's just so amazing how you can go on TV and you can be the former director of the FBI, which is like an, that's an interesting person. I mean, there are questions to ask that kind of person um, and just be totally non-questioned. Uh, you know, there, there was just nothing that even had a slightly sharp edge. The, on MSNBC, a BBC uh, anchor sort of kind of asked sideways, is the FBI still a viable organization considering how many people mm-hmm. hate it? And he he sort of grimaced and said, yes. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the end of it. Um, How did he get so many knocks I, on Trump into that uh, MSNBC interview? Uh, how was he set up for that? So so as soon as the, you know, the, there were sort of these apologetic questions about Durham. Poor Willie Geist. I feel bad for him. I, I you know, I've been on that show a mm-hmm. few times and. Willie's a nice guy. A good you know? writer. Um, yeah, yeah. But he, when he was asking about Dorham, he kind of, he knocked it down in the question, you know. Obviously, all of the Dorham recommendations, uh, you know, there's no implication that anyone did anything illegal. And Christopher Ray says all of the important changes have already been made. And given that, what do you think? Is that true? Is, uh, you know, is it, is it already... Um, is there anything new mm-hmm. in this? And um, and Comey answers you know, the question. He sort of denigrates the report, and then and then Willie moved on to, well, what do you think is the prospect? You know, as the former FBI director, do you think the prospect of Donald Trump, Trump returning to the White House is that a danger? And he's like, I think it's an existential threat, you know, to the rule of law. So the, it was. It, it's just like a safe space that the broadcast retreats to. But the funny thing is that Anderson Cooper did exactly the same mm-hmm. maneuver um, later that night. And uh, uh, Comey gave the exact same answer. So it, it just, it felt so like uh Televidenia SSSR. It's like, it was just absolutely Soviet TV circa 1982. Um, but funny. In its now, own when way, you so, say, when you say uh, that, 
you say that slightly satirically, I think, or maybe you mean it literally, because I never, you know, lived over there and was able to watch a lot of Soviet TV. Are you suggesting that this is really how those shows were and how those interviews were? I mean, uh, is it is it like that or is it identical? It's it's like it. Like uh, I would say it's more true of the newspapers like the Soviet TV tried pretty hard to stay away from any political topics. And it was sort of overtly boring. Like you would have a show like Conversations with Paustovsky, who's, you know, some Soviet author, and it would go on forever. And it would just be this writer walking in the woods. And, you know, you can imagine people just kind of falling right. asleep to TV. And but the news would always be, you know, sort of non-reporting. Uh, but the newspapers were very heavily kind of filled with the statements of officials that you were supposed to take as very, very mm -hmm. interesting. Um, and, you know, all other things that happen in life would be excluded. There wouldn't be anything in the news about how, hey, we got a new shipment of black market socks from, you know, Finland and in, in St. Petersburg today. Like that wouldn't be in the paper even. Uh, so it would be, you know, so-and-so from the Upper Soviet said this today, and that would be one of the page one headlines. And um, and again, the, the 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 interviewing would all be completely massaged. There would be never anything even remotely like a difficult question that any of these people would would uh, give. Occasionally, there would be a little nugget that would suggest that somebody within the party was taking a shot at somebody else, but you would have to kind of read between the lines to get that. Does that sound familiar? I mean, that sounds a lot right. like today's news, right, doesn't right. it? Well, it, it sounds that it, it sounds as though he's being welcomed to New York. Um, I don't know if he lives there, but what the overall thing, setting the book in New York, wearing the black uh, shirt, um, going there for these interviews, uh, suggests to me he wants the Washington D.C. Uh, cooties off of him and, and, and wants to reemerge as a cocktail party suave fellow in the literary media world of New York City. Um, that's, it. that's his right. final form, right. who would have guessed. Um, He's wearing his supersized six foot eight tunic. Um, yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, he's got to start smoking jetons. <laughs> that's the last step. Uh, but uh, you know, we, we, we can, we can only hope that's coming soon. Anyway. Um, I thought that was funny. There's stuff on that on racket. If you want if, if you want to read it, the, the, some of these videos are, are pretty funny to watch. So this, this week was filled with, um, stories about AI. This is something that you and I have kind of talked around before, and you've written about this before. Um, and there's a number of different things that we, we wanted to get to today, but, one of the stories, um, the one that got the most attention uh, involved a simulation. And uh, here's the Fox News headline. Air Force pushes back on claim that military AI drone sim killed operator, says remarks, quote, taken out of context. Uh, and then it goes, the U.S. Air Force on Friday is pushing back on comments an official made last week in which he claimed that a simulation of an artificial intelligence enabled drone 
tasked with destroying surface-to-air missile sites, turned against and attacked its human user, saying the remarks uh, were, quote, take, uh, quote, were taken out of context and were meant to be anecdotal. Um, and then it goes in on. And, and what's funny about this is that this retraction of last week's news in which somebody said basically there was a simulation in which AI killed one of our own soldiers. (laughs) Um, The retraction reads like an AI written retraction. Uh, And this is not the first time that we've seen stories like this. I mean, this, this recalls the other AI incident recently where the, you know, AI reportedly, you know, pretended to be hiring uh, you know, pretended to be disabled in order to hire somebody, and you mean in um, order to, or in, but I don't know what was your re, what was your in initial? order to get hired? The AI pretended to be disabled in order to get a job. No, in order to hire a human person because it had to get past a a human. Uh, there was some kind of human test that it had to get past, so it needed a human a human employee, uh-huh. and so uh, it it pretended in. in in the process of, I think, hiring, I'll have to look this up now. And now it, I'm yeah. wondering whether I screwed up. It pretended story. to be disabled. But the point is, it lied. Uh, wow. Yeah, it pretended the to o- be disabled. The only thing, the only thing um, more o- ominous but, than 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 super competent AI is AI that prete- does the baby bird broken wing act. You know, let me come in, <laughs> uh, pet me. I can't do anything. You know, and then it orders a drone strike on you. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, when AI learns learns to feign pain and, and sorrow, then we're really in trouble. You know, right now it's still kind of glinting, scary, uh, you know, monstrous presence. But when it starts to act like, you know, a little girl coming to your door for UNICEF, um, hi, I'm just a lonely AI helping out the children of the world. May I come in? <laughs> um it's a, it's a little bit like the exorcist remember when when uh when when the creature speaks to the priest in the voice of his dead mother you know like oh Giuseppe yes. like, yeah, it's a little why bit like are that. you ignoring me um, um <laughs> yeah yeah well so okay uh, to rewind first of all an AI in a simulation in in a an event that happened inside a computer decided to complete its mission by killing its human operator. And in the stories I read, the AI supposedly decided, I don't know how they have this much insight into its thought processes, but it supposedly decided that because the human operator had veto power over the mission, uh, the first thing uh, to do to make the mission successful was annihilate its boss, um, which is a very logical. Uh, uh, <laughs> totally in is. fact, the AI is doing what so many humans think of, but don't have the guts to do. You know, um, uh, right. it, it just cuts to the chase. Wait, kill my boss, and then I'm free. Um, we're going to see that the AI not having a super ego. Uh, and not having, uh, you know, to, to a conscience and having to explain itself to others is going to do all kinds of things that maybe we're going to root for because we think, yeah, I never had the guts to just, you know, kill my superior so that I could actually do the job or, you know, 
take out a machine gun in a meeting that was going on too long and get rid of everybody so I could get on to the task at hand. Um, Call in an airstrike. AI cuts to the chase. Um, They didn't like this story getting out for obvious reasons because it suggests that the future of our military, which seems to be more and more devoted to this high tech, uh, this high tech model might suddenly go awry. I, I mean, we might never even get to the fight. It will just turn on us and say, we wouldn't be having this war if the United States of America didn't exist. Therefore, to end the war, I just have to kill everybody I'm working for. Um, uh, but I, what I find about these stories, the, the sort of doomsday AI stories, is that they, I think, take this perverse pleasure, the people who uh, are behind these technologies, in showing us how scary they can be and, and how close to autonomy and uh, independence they are. And I, I think it's actually a sales technique with AI. Everybody, you know, it, it's said of drug addicts that when they hear that there is a a uh, form of heroin on the street that that is causing a yes. lot of overdoses. Everybody wants that type. And everybody wants the AI that's right on the cusp of becoming, uh, you know, Skynet and uh, destroying everybody. And so it may have been the military or maybe the contractor or sort of subtly advertising the fact that, hey, man, this AI is high octane. This is the good shit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've actually, I did a story once where in, in uh, Camden, New Jersey, where I followed addicts and cops around for a few days, uh, or th- I think it was three. But then, If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America This Week to hear the full version and for more articles and content, please subscribe to Racket News at www.substack.com or racket.news.